Finley's Thoughts is brought to you and made possible by the folks here at Anchor. Um, They don't pay us to say this. We just say it for ourselves. They are free, easy, and able to get your podcast out there to the largest number of people possible. It's really cool that they do this. It's really cool that this service is out there. And it's the reason why we can bring you Season 3, Running the Gauntlet of Finley's Thoughts. Hello, everyone. This is the 14th of May as we record this. You are listening to Running the Gauntlet, latest episode. This is Finley with your uh, co-host, Walker. Walker, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Lovely weather we're having up here. Gorgeous night. You dragged me in for this show, uh, sitting out on my deck. I, I just I just spent all weekend busting my hump to put in a new garden. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Really? And, and 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 we're well, we've had a garden, but it was, you know, well, okay. So when you have three dogs, we only wanted two. We got three. Longer story. <laughs> and um well, dogs are well, when two of them are male, dogs are dogs. Dogs walk through gardens. And well, last year's yield of food was questionable because we spent a lot of time washing this stuff. So I, using some ideas I'd seen some from some Boy Scout type projects and flower boxes, I built a 12 by 6, or if you prefer, 6 by 12 um, uh, garden garden box on 2 by 8. So it's almost 17 and a half inches tall. Uh, made of thick two by <laughs> two bys, uh, twelve feet long, six feet wide, and now we can have a bigger yield. Of course, my wife went with. Why would we do that? I'm like, uh, I don't know, more tomatoes. Uh, that that's the reason right there. Um, <laughs> that alone, uh, fresh tomatoes. Uh, oh my god, peppers yeah. too. Oh yeah, and and we always get the little ones, you know, the the the, the grape size ones or cherry ones. They sometimes call them. And and those you just take them off the vine and pop them right in. They're that good. See now, um, I love fresh tomatoes, sliced, a little bit of salt, a little bit of mayo, tomato sandwich. That is a southern delicacy. That is just the best. And you got to use certain kinds of mayonnaise. You either use Blue Plate or you use Dukes. Dukes is com- what comes off of the East Coast. Hellman's is what I grew up with. A tomato sandwich. I'm dead serious. I can see the way you're looking at me, but it's totally worth it. And if you don't believe me, folks, I'm going to ask you to no. try it and let us know what you think at Finley's Thoughts at gmail.com. No, no, no. no. It is a no. southern thing, dude. I will have you try this the next chance I get. But sore, it's got to be fresh tomatoes. Grits. Yeah, and you don't know what you're missing out. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Anyway, so. so uh, the, prob- get- the the humping of the garden thing that was fun to construct. It wasn't so fun to have to fill it back up with dirt and then run the rototiller. And so for Mother's Day, I'm walking around going, "Oi, my back." <laughs> uh, we are going to be talking two movies tonight, as we always do. The first one is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. 
This one was released in 2017, directed and written as uh, as before by James Gunn. You got a big main cast here, folks. Give me a second. Chris Pratt, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillan, Kurt Russell, Michael Brooker, Elizabeth Debicki, and Pum Clementif. Pum yeah, that was that one's a tough. That's a tough name. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Uh, here's the summary. She of the looks movie. nothing. She looks nothing like like the character she portrays. That's. Uh, I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Let me finish this part real quick. Sure. Uh, our summary is that is this: Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, Rocket Raccoon, and Baby Groot are rescued by a mysterious and gloriously bearded stranger after Rocket causes a job to go Glorious. south. <laughs> Glorious. <laughs> Glorious. Peter soon learns that this man, Ego, holds secrets about his past and where he comes from, while other forces work to go after the Guardians of the Galaxy and their allies. Stanley has a cameo in this movie, and it's hard to define, but there's two possibilities here. He's either the Traveler or the one above all. We don't know which oh, one it is. The one, oh, oh, wow. The one we'll talk about all. that in a minute. Uh, we have a few first appearances in this one. Not as many as normal. Uh, Mantis, Aisha, ruler of the Sovereign. We can expect her to return. The Sovereign homeworld. Adam Warlock makes his first appearance in this movie. In that, you're gonna, you, we're going to have to talk about that one. Oh, yeah, I know. And the awesome Zune makes its first appearance in this movie. <laughs> that everybody's using on Earth, yeah. Oh man, it has 300 songs on it. I had one of those. I had. Of course a, you did. Of course you did. You technophile. I had a brown Zune that I got. Yeah, it's the reason I created a Woot account was to buy the brown Zune they had on sale one day. Um, no, no. Yeah. There's so many ways to go on this now. So our villains in this are Ego, the Living Planet. And Aisha and the Sovereign. Um, this movie takes place about six months after the first movie and two years before Civil War. Right. Uh, that's, that's important for the timeline because it got a little confusing at the time when exactly it was supposed to take place. But the good thing is they make it pretty clear pretty quick. Uh, the first part of the movie takes place in 1980. And we get... Uh, our first glimpse of Ego and Meredith Quill, and I am now convinced that Marvel has perfected time travel so they could go back and get a young Kurt Russell for the opening of this movie. Oh, God, did they de-age him. Yeah, and, and they talked about this at the time. Most of that is not CGI. Kurt Russell talked about this. He said he's he's had the same makeup guy with him for decades. And he goes to the guy and says, hey, look, they want to do some de-aging on me. And the makeup guy looks at him and goes, I can help you with that. And sure enough, although there is CGI in there, don't get me wrong, a lot of it is his makeup guy's work. That's impressive. Um, this movie has two opening sequences that are amongst my personal favorites in the MCU. You get everything with Meredith and Ego, because that's just really cool, and it has a great song in it. Meredith played by Laura Haddock, who's been in... She was in Guardians 1. She was in one of the Transformers movies. Yeah. She was also in, uh, what was that one, uh, Da Vinci? Da Vinci's Demons? 
I never watched Da Vinci's Demons, so I couldn't. Yeah, she took her clothes off a lot. I'll have to watch Da Vinci's Demons. Um, <laughs> that's one of the. That's the two. That's the first of the two opening sequences. The second one is the battery job. Um, Peter and the Guardians are assigned. <laughs> oh, no. okay. I was like the battery. Oh, that's right. That's what they were getting. Yeah. Okay. They were retrieving batteries that had been stolen. And this is where we get our first idea of how the Guardians work with each other. And it's great to watch Not because they're well, actually, but <laughs> they're a good team works. that works poorly. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. They're, they're family. They call them themselves this a couple times, but it's true. They're a family. They work well together. Eventually. Eventually, yes. But we do get maybe the greatest opening credit sequence of any Marvel movie Dancing Baby Groot. Toddler. Toddler. Wouldn't you think of it as a toddler? No, they say he's only, he's only six months old at this point. He would still be a baby. Oh, yeah. That, to me, is just perfect. It is a joy to watch him and the action that goes on behind him especially. Because while he's sitting there dancing, which is great, you just watch the chaos and mayhem that is going on behind him. <laughs> And there is a moment where they break the fourth wall. It is the only time in the Marvel movies that it's happened, in fact. Um, Groot hits the camera at one point. He rolls on the ground. He hits the camera. You hear it. <laughs> I, I was more impacted by the, the you know, in the background. This, the, the, you know, you, you see Quill flying by, uh, kind of out of control, you know, yeah. Kill it, you know, shooting at each other. And, and then, of course, the the uh, what was the big baddie that was after him that like was shooting stuff and the big you know, it was it was it was it was hysterical. It, it, the it space octopus, me, basically. It, it reminded me of an airplane movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> Gamora has one of my favorite moments in this because she's telling Groot, Groot, go say go somewhere safe. Groot waves at her. Hi. And just flies off. <laughs> <laughs> I could spend 30 minutes talking about this damn opening, folks. It's it is so fun to watch for me. Um, you well, the get, 1980s beginning. I mean, he's driving around in a, in a in a Generation Two Mustang. That piece of crap. I remember that car. Yeah, Ego doesn't have the best taste in cars, does he? <laughs> he really doesn't. Plus, there's the fact that he clearly has taken his. Uh, actually, I can't say this. I was going to say he takes his cues from Michael Knight of Knight Rider for his clothes, but that's not the case. You could argue that Michael Knight takes his cues from uh, Ego. <laughs> yeah, in, in the right frame of reference, yes. Um, in that scene, I guess we should go back to that real quick. We learn that Ego is, has planted something in the Earth, and we don't know what it is. We know it's alien. And Meredith is all in on Ego being a spaceman. She fully believes him. To be fair, she's kind of got reason to. And it's 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 actually a sweet scene at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, my uh, what did he call her? Butterfly? No. No, my uh, water lily. Water lily. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a cheesy. It's a cheesy '80s love. Time, '80s, '80s, you know? yes, definitely. It was definitely a cheesy '80s. Oh, ego is my favorite thing about ego is the fact that he is so stuck in the 1980s period of time that he was with Meredith, and so um, 
totally stuck in there. You see that later on. But great villain, great uh, stuff we see come out later. Um, the movie, of course, has one of the best soundtracks in modern movies. And uh, we'll talk about that later on. But let's move on from there. Uh, we get to the point where the Guardians defeat this big giant space octopus. Uh, Drax gets his way out of the inside. <laughs> it looks like a second birth. Oh, my God. It's horrible looking. Um, they go and they meet the Sovereign. And the Sovereign are very clearly just pricks. Just a race of pricks. Big time Goldie pricks. Yeah, and this actually leads to my biggest complaint about the movie. Not only are they one note, but they're a plot that could have pretty much been dropped early on. Like, okay, if you've seen the movie, you know this, but Rocket steals batteries from them and stealing from them is this huge offense so they send their ships after him and the guardians the guardians kind of start to get away but they're about to be killed and ego comes flying in on his egg spaceship and riding it like 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 he's uh aquaman on on um riding it like silver surfer okay yeah that one works better staying in the right universe which leads to a great moment later on when rocket's trying to describe him he's really small um small. yeah and honestly had they stopped that story there i would feel much better about this movie as a whole as it is i love this movie but th- the big complaint i have about it is that there's just one too many stories in it and the sovereign is something that comes back later tw- uh three times and honestly the reason they're there is something that marvel does a lot and that's this isn't for this movie. It's for the movie three movies from now. They are there solely to introduce the concept of Adam Warlock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, based on the ending. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was just, you know, getting back at somebody over the top. They practically throw the entire planetary defense force at, at them to, yeah. just because they stole a little itty bitty battery. Yeah. Now, I will say this. I love the fact that the Sovereign Space Fleet Command is a giant arcade. <laughs> that is funny to me. It looks like something out of Tron, actually. It does. <laughs> it does. And, you know, you get stuff There's like a that. movie I want to review. Oh. What? We may have to review that movie at some point. Just for the so Finley had to sit through this steaming pile of shit uh, discussion. <laughs> It does not age well. Is, is, I am is, sorry. Is, is that going to be like a series? The movie. So Finley had to sit had through to this sit shit. Through. <laughs> the so Finley had to sit through this shit series of conversations. Yes, that may have to happen. No, wow, the podcast that means... was great until season five, when all he did was bitch about every movie he saw. And then Jesus they went into Christ. my favorite Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, come oh, on. Fuck that. <laughs> That's only to get you going. Next I is know. Logan's Run. Never seen Logan's Run. I know. I need to see it at some point. <laughs> just even just, just because it hurts so good. Even if just for Jenny Agutter. Uh Anyway. Oh, it's only a ten-second scene. So, so, <laughs> um, 
There are things that are established pretty early on. The comedy is pretty early on established. You get wonderful work uh, with Rocket and his motivation, and that leads to a wonderful scene late in the movie that we'll talk about later. He's a dick, but there's a reason he's a dick. Um, Ultimately, the Guardians do this job so they can get Nebula and bring her to the Nova Corps. And I'm going to tell you right now, the work they did with the character of Nebula in this movie is the yeoman's work. They did an amazing job and Karen Gillan did a great job of playing her in this movie. I've, I've, I've said it before. I said it on guardians one that I liked her. I thought her work was really good. Um, okay. First movie. Yeah. Braddy kid. Um, but I mean, in this movie, you kind of go, Ooh, yeah, that sucks. Uh, yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Her life is, uh, that sucks to be you. Absolutely. And so you you get this development with her and her relationship with Gamora, and it's just – it is so good. She comes into her own, and the character arc that we have with her throughout the rest of the MCU movies is enriched because of this. Um, it, it's wonderful. So um, – Ultimately, we get to a point where Ego has taken out all but one ship, and Drax has to take that one ship out. Oh, sorry, no, that happens. Oh yeah, Drax oh yeah. I was, I was, where are you going? He, they, they cleared him. I mean, no, no, you're right because there was the one ship. Drax has a great method for taking out that ship. <laughs> what a trip, man. Oh my God! That is so Straps him onto a, basically throws a rope around his waist, dives out the back of the (laughs) back of the. No, that's not the Milano anymore. Uh, No, at that point it is still the Milano. Okay, and 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 just laughing out loud and and on the back of a of a wire shooting. (laughs) But it works. So why couldn't he just stand on the back of the deck with it wide open shooting? I don't know. It was just yeah. After somebody, that, went, somebody went, hey, we can do that. We, you know why? We can do that because it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things in these movies that get done because they look cool. <laughs> uh, after this is when a swarm, a swarm of ships come after Peter and them. Ego saves them, but the ship is damaged. It's going to crash, and that is an awesome crash sequence for the Milano. Um, my gold standard used to be. The crash of the Enterprise D saucer in the movie Star Trek Generations, but I love this crash landing, just because it's fun I to watch. Like the crash in MIB, but you know, I... that is a good one. Yeah, that is. Um, we get a lot of the problems in this movie get established early on. Not problems of the story or anything like that, but like the the conflicts in the movie, I should say. One of them is. Rocket versus Peter, them trying to figure out who's really in charge, which leads to the greatest new term, Trash Panda. <laughs> trash Panda is one of my favorites. They kept, and they kept throwing out all kinds of stuff. Wait, what is that? <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> it's so much worse. Uh, by the way, little side note, there is now a minor league baseball team known as the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> This is a real thing. Look them up. Their mascot is a raccoon in a trash can being launched as a rocket. Um, 
Yes. So, somebody in marketing kind of kind of got a little. No. Away. What happened? Wait a minute. Was, though. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, wait. Disney probably never got around to, to copywriting that name. Disney had nothing to do with it. You're right. What well, happened? no, because Disney's a... famous for if you go, if, oh yeah, they if go, you go and now. use any of their copyrighted names, their their flesh eating shark lawyers come out. I think the argument was that trash panda is a commonly known term. I'd never heard of it before this movie. Uh, but, ooh, yeah. But Rocket City's named after a town next to Huntsville, Alabama. Um. And in fact, they had a naming contest, name the new baseball or name the baseball team. And somebody submitted Rocket City Trash Pandas and it took off and they loved it. The town loved it and adopted it and they went with it. And so now the Rocket City Trash Pandas are out there and I want a shirt and I want a hat and I want a baseball (laughs) and (laughs) you'll get nothing and like it. Uh, We get our real first introduction to Ego as Peter's father here. Um, and I, I like the idea of Ego as Peter's father. Uh, there's there's stuff that develops with that, and you know we'll talk about all of that as we're reviewing this movie. And from here, we get our introduction back to the Ravagers. We get our first shot of Yondu and his crew. Um, in the six months since then, they're pretty much still doing the same thing, but it's becoming clear that there is some difficulty with Yondu amongst the Ravager crew at this point. And we learn that Yondu is kind of persona non grata amongst the other Ravager clans. Uh, we get Stakar coming in, explaining that. And Stakar, of course, is played by the Italian stallion himself, Sylvester Stallone. Okay, I was hoping you were going to go into some of the cameos, because this one's full of cameo. Oh, oh, oh. oh this is cameos. a cameo hard on like like nothing else. There are glorious cameos in this. You get Ving Rhames, Michelle Yeoh. Oh, uh, I, it actually took me. What was it? Uh, I saw it in the movie and I didn't recognize who it was. I think it was on the, the second or third time I watched it. I'm like, I know this. One. No way. How did they get Michelle Yeoh? And then Ving Rhames. Well, wait a minute. Was he what? He was. I mean, probably had an off day from from shooting Mission Impossible. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but the cool thing about that is those three plus the uh, the two that get brought in at the very end are the original lineup of the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Wait a minute. That, the, from the, the comics, characters? Oh. the characters are comics in the comics of the original Guardians of the Galaxy. And one of the uh, characters in there is played by Miley Cyrus. She's the voice of the robot head at the very end. Really? Yep. Oh. So. Here, I got some other ones, though. Yeah, please go ahead. I, let's do this. Um, what are the other cameos we have in this movie? Well, uh, am I stealing your su- thunder to mention the uh, no. the, the, the Hoff? No, because he's a he's a story point. In fact, we get our new name for the Hoff, Zondu Hasselfrau. <laughs> Zardu Hasselfrau. Excuse me. Zardu Hasselfrau. So David Hasselhoff appears very briefly, and you just go, ew. Um, well, you kind of always do that nowadays. He should have been eating a sandwich drunk. <laughs> no, um, burger drunk. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of Jeff Goldblum in there. In the credits, um, yes. In, 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 in the credits. Um Feige, Feige is quoted as saying that he thought it would be fun to put him in there. 
Yes, of course, yeah. you have the you you, you have. Um, oh wait, there's a notation here that there's a tie-in that the Grandmaster is actually the brother of the Collector. Yes, that's from the comics. Oh, okay. Now something that slipped me until I was researching it for this uh, for this cast. Ben Browder from Farscape, one of my favorites. Yes, he plays the admiral whose ship gets blown up in the arcade at the uh, by, yes. uh, by yes. Drax. Yes, and you didn't recognize him so well because he was covered in gold. But, uh, yeah, Browder was there. Um, let's see. Uh, who's Molly Quinn? Is that Saturday Night Live? No, she was on the show um, uh, Castle. She was the daughter of the character played by Nathan. Oh, her, yeah. Who is yeah. she in this? Uh, she, it's, it's credited as uh, that she's um, Howard the Duck's date. No shit. Got to look at that one again. Yeah. I will have I, I, to. I, yeah, that, that, that's a... Got to go back and look at that. By the uh, way, I'm going to say it now. I did not include Jeff Goldblum in my... Uh, are the, the game... the. Grandmaster in my list of first appearances here. And the reason why is because he doesn't actually have any scenes in the movie. He's no, no, you're right. only dancing in the credits. Is now, what you see. now, a very bizarre one. And I only know the name because I think I've seen him on, on, uh, on Jimmy Kimmel's show, but, uh, Guillermo Rodriguez was an yes. uncredited cameo as a police officer from earth. Uh, when the, the, the lobby thing, thingy, yeah, the lava <laughs> thing, yeah, the, the lava, not lava thingy. The, the reshaper, the 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 uh, Genesis blob to use a little start. Genesis. <laughs> but I mean, uh, plus all the big names that that appeared in it, uh, you know, uh, it, it kind of blows your mind of, you know, what was the thinking there? I mean, other than coolness, what was the thinking there? Are they going to bring Again. these guys in? I don't think they can afford them. Again. Because it looks cool, I think so. I th- I think I think they went. How'd you like to? How'd you like to be in a Marvel movie? Yeah, you know, and, you like and, 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 this, and this time Stallone, Marvel. you're not as a cop, right? And Stallone actually has a great little scene there with uh, with Yondu. Yeah, that, that little argument. Yes, I actually kind of really goes that. for explaining it. And can we explain that one now? Yes, please go ahead. Uh, where it kind of goes into explaining. Why Yondu was an outcast of the Ravagers, and they, they tied it all nice and nice and neat. So yes. one of the, the the rules of the Ravagers is you know they'll do a lot, but one thing they don't do is they don't mess with children. They children are kids. not in their kids. No killing kids, nothing like that. And Yondu was outcast because he was working for Ego. It's it's actually in the movie. It's buried in little tidbits. Yeah, and and. Um, uh, Yandu was working for Ego, uh, but he was told he was finding Ego's lost children, and he was bringing those children. But never a, asking what happened. But never happens. found out or asked, maybe asked is better, uh, what was happening. And you find out later that Yandu figured out uh, around the time that he, he, he grabbed Quill figured out that these kids he was taking to him weren't were, coming back, weren't coming back, weren't found again and put two and two together. And, and so, um, so Stallone's, you know, outrage 
you only kind of figure out a little later after that outrage that Yandu was trapped. He mm-hmm. didn't think he was doing a bad thing until he found out he was. And then, um, uh, you know, was kind of in a, in a, in a, in a bad way. And it kind of goes to explain that really sobering, somber scene where he's with the robot prostitute. Yes. And has this long lingering look. And I think as an audience member, you don't really recognize that they were trying to portray something there. And, and that's sometimes where filming fails because you didn't have the background to know that he was looking at his life and is like, it's, it's down to this. There's pathos. Yes. True pathos. And, 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 you know, his, his only family tribe, whatever are the ravagers uh, are the ravagers and he's a reject. Mm -hmm. And so that comes in to a fantastic scene at the end. Um, let's let's hold off on I, that. I, I want to hold that one. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I want, know. I want to hold about. that one at, at, at too because that that's a it's it's guttural, but it's it's it it is insightful. Yes, for a character that whistles at an arrow. Yes, Coolest and says weapon. he's Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, bitches, Mary Poppins. So. There is another recurring theme throughout this entire movie, and it's very important to bring it up here because here's where we first see it. In any situation, Nebula is right. I lost count of the number of times in this movie that Nebula called what was going to happen. And that goes from the beginning where she's like, look, if he ends up trying to betray you or ends up being a bad guy, we'll kill him. And it's it's meant as a joke, but it's it's not it's it's the truth. Um, but there are so many times where Nebula is right about what's going to happen or, or has concerns that are valid and validated, which is more important. Um, this leads to my favorite use of any of the music in this movie, the chain. We actually hear it twice in this movie and I love that song and to hear it used the way it is here is great. Uh, we get then a scene that. To me, this is one of the beefs I have, and this isn't with the movie, but it's with the marketing of the movie. The trailer for Guardians Volume 2 ruins one of the great jokes in this movie, which is when Nebula, excuse me, when Mantis, who's a fun character and has amazing interplay with Drax, has this thing where she reveals that she is an empath. She is able to feel what other people are feeling, and she has the ability to do things like you know, have you change your emotional state or in ego's case, put him to sleep. But there's this moment where she reads Peter and says, you have love, this deep abiding love. And Peter's trying to play it off. She goes, no, it's, it's true romantic sexual love for her. And she points right at Gamora. Yeah. It is a beautiful joke and it's ruined by the trailer. This is one of those times where Marvel fucks it up. Yeah, they were trying to get you hooked, and yeah, they went too far. They gave they gave away too much. Mm-hmm. Um, from unlike, here, unlike unlike uh, unlike Endgame, where they really messed with your head and 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 really misled you. Yes, and no, no, you're you're not wrong, <laughs> and we will talk about that in about four weeks. Um, from there, 
we we learned when uh, we were back with Yondu that uh, Aisha has declared a bounty on the Guardians. She wants them dead, but she wants them for herself. And this leads to the Ravager attack on the Milano and the Southern Night sequence, which is just fun. Rocket <laughs> fucks with the Ravagers. <laughs> Ultimately gets captured. <laughs> that was a great bit of bit of uh, of, of inventiveness. Mm-hmm. As he's humming, <laughs> beats the shit out of them all, but does get captured. Yandu reveals that he is not going to bring the guardians to Aisha, and in the moment, rightfully gets called out by Kraglin. Now, Kraglin's his first mate. He's the guy who's been with him for the longest at this point. And he's like, look. And also James Gunn's brother. Yes, Sean Gunn, who is also the mocap actor for Rocket. Uh, um, really? Yes. He's, he's the motion capture? He's the motion capture stand-in for Rocket Raccoon. Um, Must have come cheap. Brother. Man. Yeah. Uh, I need a guy. I got a brother who doesn't have a job. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's he's the Ted Raimi of the MCU. Let's be honest. <laughs> Hires all of his buddies and and, and brothers and, and mm-hmm. sisters. So ultimately, um, gets captured, but Yondu's refusing to bring him. Kraglin mutiny saying, look, you've got this soft spot for Peter Quill that, you know, if it were any one of us, you'd have killed us by now many times over. And Yondu gets his fin blown out, for lack of a better term, by Nebula. I wonder if that's going to become one of those phrases, like jumping the shark. Dude, you blew my fin off. Uh, it's up there with muscle fluffers now for one of our uh, new quotes. Muscle, muscle fluffer. Yeah, muscle fluffer. Do you remember <laughs> that one? Did you write that down? <laughs> no, but I did tell my wife about it today. <laughs> to anybody who, who hadn't heard that episode, listen to uh, our, Go back. our review of... Of Doctor of Strange Civil, and Captain America Civil, Civil War. War, and yeah, it was it was it was it was muscle muscle fluffing. Yeah. Muscle fluffer. Um, from here we go to Planet Ego, and Planet Ego is a gorgeous piece of CGI work, in my opinion. And the revelation that Ego, according to him, is a celestial, and this this is actually important. The Celestials are some of the most powerful creatures in the MCU. This stops the Guardians in their tracks, and all of a sudden it lends an air of woe to what he is and who he is. And so when you find out that Peter is half celestial, you know, half a god, essentially, it's impressive. What do you think? Um, well, yeah, uh, it, 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 it immediately, as soon as you kind of learn that one, you go back to... So that's how he held uh, the an infinity stone. The, the what was that? The power stone. Um, uh, he needed help, though. Um, yeah, even with that, he needed help. Yeah, but you know, don't you find it a little a little too easy that he caught on to the use of of his power with ego a little fast? I mean, I know they were trying to move the movie along, but really. So here's my thing about that, and you're asking a great question. I don't have as much of a problem with it because this is his first exposure to the source of his power. Um, 
Well, it did lead to a kind of cool scene where, you know, he's playing, having a catch. Okay. Now, mind you, it's an energy ball that probably would have fried any one of us, but you know, yeah. And this actually, there is a slow burn revelation of what ego's plan is ultimately. And that works wonderfully to me. And it starts the moment, you know, his plan is truly going into effect is that exact sequence. You're talking about the fact where Ego gets Peter to learn how to use his powers or to to be successful at drawing power. And that reaction that Ego has, I used to think that it was Kurt Russell overplaying it. But no, that's when the wheels begin to turn because he says, finally, after everything I've done, this is actually working. But here's the other thing about that scene. Ego is playing all of the cards of the derelict father coming back because he needs something in that scene. Everything he's talking about. Yeah, that's probably why everybody like dislikes it because, you know, they all worry about that. You know, you you, you hear about that derelict, uh, 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 Meghan Markle's father or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Where, where it's like, yeah, you left us. And now suddenly we're, you know, we're supposed to just play. Yeah. Yeah. We're supposed to ignore all of that. And you're supposed to come back in. And it is it is to it is to the story's credit that they give us something to distract from that a little bit. Um, they give us the power thing, and I know you said you thought it was going a bit fast. I have no problem with it because it does distract from really serious, heady issues that otherwise would have derailed everything Ego was trying to do with Peter. Um, the power thing is all of a sudden, oh, oh, I can do this now. And that's great. Now, there is another scene, though, that immediately follows this, where you see another relationship being talked about with a father, and that's Drax talking about his daughter. This is the moment where you realize how much pain Drax has to carry with him, and he does it as if it's matter-of-fact at this point. There's a great shot where Mantis touches Drax and feels just this infinite sadness coming from him. But Drax's face is almost peaceful and serene, as if it's just a part of his life. And I always thought that was a brilliantly shot sequence. Uh, Okay, Um, I'm going to let you have that one because I. uh, That was mushy, gushy stuff. Sorry. Fair enough. Um, We do get a reveal here. Uh, once P, uh, we go back to Yondu and Rocket, Yondu's a Kree. He was a Kree battle slave. Uh, so lower caste. Um, but it leads to one of the great sequences in this movie, Groot retrieving the fin. You get all of this <laughs> stuff where Groot has to go get stuff, and he keeps missing up. And he recovers a fake eye. He brings an eyeball. He brings a toe. Is yeah. there like some was kind it, of fridge what? where y'all keep toes? Toes? No. Where did he get it? <laughs> Which leads to, can we never talk about this again? All right. <laughs> um. Anyway, we we get this. We have ultimately the revelation that Craglin, who has watched most of his friends get killed in this mutiny and things go that bad. Was, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, 
where that was brutal. Uh, yes, yes, uh, that was that was telling there. Yes, um, but it does lead us to Taserface. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> Taserface for a second. <laughs> First off, <laughs> the whole sequence with Taserface and Rocket is funnier than a lot of movies have a right for. And the fact that Rocket gets him to basically say, it's a metaphor, it's meant to do all of this stuff. And you get that scene where Rocket's like, I just can't imagine waking up in the morning and saying to myself when looking in the mirror, I'm going to go with Taser face. Was scrotum face not taken or not available or something like that? Scrotum head? No, that was Family Guy. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Craglin <laughs> um, comes back to Yondu, says, look, I didn't expect for it to go like this. I didn't think they were going to mutiny, and I've lost so many friends. Yondu takes him back, which is great. It's just like, all right, let's 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 do this. And Yondu gets his fin. Now, they, the, this is actually kind of important because the fin is actually the way Yondu looks in the comics when you look at him. Oh, is it? I yes. In fact, when the first movie was released, people were kind of like, where's Yondu's fin? And Gunn just said, well, we needed something that looked a little more, you know, uh, subtle. First and generation. S- yeah. <laughs> um, they escape, blowing up the ship and, uh, and killing all the Ravagers, which come a little bit closer. Is, is, it's my wife's favorite sequence in this movie. I'm not even kidding. Uh, the killing of the Ravagers is what we're talking about here, in case you don't know. And uh, Yondu uses his arrow and just wipes out all of the mutinous Ravagers, kills them all. It's 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 actually kind of funny, and there are some great shots in it. Uh, Groot gets his revenge on a couple of people. The ones that were harassing him, yeah, that had them all caged yeah. up, yeah. And you just see this glee of, of Rocket, Groot, and Yondu as they're getting revenge on all the people that went after them. And then eventually blow up the ship with Taser Face on it. Right. Um, they escape, and we get one of the trippiest shots, which is the 700 jumps shots. And you just see their faces uh. going weird and stuff. That one was a little ridiculous. I'm going to say this. I mean, it was Doctor Who. I mean, come on. No, no, no. If it was Doctor Who, they would have been claymation faces. Let's be honest. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. And trash cans. Yes. Yes. Um, at this point, we get this amazing fight between Gamora and Nebula. It moves the story along when we get this real realization, or at least Gamora does, of how much Nebula just wanted a sister, but instead had a competitor her whole life while uh, living under Thanos. And then the movie turns. And there's a point where Peter is listening to the song Brandy by Looking Glass. And Ego lives by this song, by the way. This is this is. You know how everybody has a song that they feel best defines them? Everybody does. I love the way he, he, he did the Bill Shatner through it. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> my life, my love, and my lady. <laughs> I mean, it was almost that kind it's of a emphasis. Seat. Yeah, it was almost that kind of emphasis. I, yeah. I, I, I really think that he went, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to say. I, listen, I wouldn't do it for Disney. Why would I do it for you? Well, and now I'm working for Disney again, goddammit. Yeah. Turns out he did do it for Disney. <laughs> so. Yeah, but he didn't sing. Well, no. Okay, maybe a little. Um, Ego reveals the true nature of what he had been doing this whole time. And you again get this amazing visual of the mountain of skeletons. And it's morbid and it's effective. And more than anything else, this reveals to you just how evil Ego is up to this point. Evil, but doesn't know it. Right. No, no. He he has no he has no understanding. He has of no it. under. Yeah. He, 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 he well, he describes himself as you know he just suddenly existed. Right. Uh, and and the way they kind of made it look like and and at the end it looks that way a brain in space. Yeah. Um, hey. Ultimately, it's revealed that ego needs a partner in his plan to be able to do what he wants to do, which is convert all of life to other creatures like him. And the story of how and why Peter was born is a hell of a scene. And then you get this uh, moment where Ego touches Peter's head and he reveals to him the true scope of what he's wanting to do. And it's breathtaking and it's clearly intoxicating. But Ego ultimately goes too far. And you said something just now. Ego. Yeah. Well – you said something just now that's really important. Ego doesn't have the reference, the frame of reference to look at what he is doing from the perspective of other creatures. It's the same way that humans yeah, don't no have. Ethos. He has no ability to determine what is bad and what is good. Right. What is evil. Um, he is ego, not super ego. Oh, oh man. Don't, don't do that to me, man. I was like, oh. Anyway. Um, but ultimately, he I looks upon. <laughs> He looks upon all of these things the same way that a human would look upon an ant. And <laughs> boot ant. But he doesn't realize the power of love between a son and his mother. And when he says what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So casually he says, yeah, I hated doing it to her. But what are you going to do? Basically. It's revealed that Ego killed Meredith by putting the tumor in her head that killed her. And that snaps Peter out of it. That's the second time Marvel has has, has turned that around. Yes. You killed my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is, is that, well, now that Disney owns it, I mean, that's. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That's going to be a problem for them because they're always killing off parents and it's always a, you know. Well, you don't Disney's, get revenge for it. Uh, Disney was owning the MCU for a while at this point, but you yeah you could see a little bit of that. Well, we're part of Disney now. Time to kill moms. Gotta kill. Gotta kill off the mom or the dad. Gotta kill the mom. Usually the moms. Yeah. Um, this realization, along with seeing ego destroy one of the last connections that Peter has to Meredith in the form yes. of the awesome mixtape. Yes. 
it's at that point that everything that comes to ego, he deserves. Plain and simple. Um, we get this shot of Planet Ego once uh, the others arrive, and that is just pure comic book awesomeness, by the way. Yes, it 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 was it was uh, 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 through the looking glass. It was you know, it was it was Doctor Seuss. It was all bizarre stuff, man. Mm-hmm. We get the sovereign. Why didn't that appear in Doctor Strange? Hmm. I don't know. We get the return of the sovereign uh, once uh, the plan is in effect to try to kill Ego. And this, again, is where I think it's really just one thing too many. They come back, and they're flying their arcade ships again. That's kind of where I kind of started having problems with this movie. I don't blame you, because it gets overstuffed. This movie is honestly doing great for me until that. If you didn't have them there, and if you just kept it focused on the fight between Ego and the Guardians and having Yondu there to assist and all this kind of stuff, that alone would have been enough. And ultimately, they prove this by having a construction ship destroy the entirety of the uh, Sovereign Fleet. They don't need to be there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. They don't. It's entirely superfluous. And they it's almost as if Gunn, in writing the story, realized it and realized he had kind of written himself into a corner and said, well, fuck this. We'll just get rid of them. Like there had been this uh, declaration from Marvel production that, look, we need to introduce Adam Warlock in here. You need to have the Sovereign in here. All right, fine. Well, I'm getting rid of them as soon as I can. And, oh, we though don't want to leave a- Though I didn't find anything about it like we did um, uh, with with uh, uh, Civil War, uh, uh, that, that there was a lot of um, uh, corporate uh, interference. I, I didn't find any of that. No, I don't think I don't think there would be. Gunn's pretty good about keeping independent. Uh, yeah, okay, oh, all right. I thought you were going to say something else because there's a little controversy after this movie. Well, uh, yes, a little bit, but thankfully it died down pretty uh, pretty well. Ultimately, what happens? It did. Ultimately, what happens is. The Guardians have their battle with Ego. Peter realizes his full potential in terms of power, just in time to lose it because they end up killing Ego, which kills Peter's tie to his power. Uh, before this, he was considered immortal. Now he is a normal human being. And then begins the insane battle that we saw at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, have you got scotch tape? Why does Rocket know what scotch tape is? Um, Universal translator. Okay, must be. And and then you hear, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you hear all these great one-liners. And, well, I'll go ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gamora, uh, have you got any scotch tape? Ow. Scotch tape. Ah! No, nobody's got any scotch tape. <laughs> The scene where Rocket is explaining to Groot how to use the bomb. <laughs> no, you'll kill us all! <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No! <laughs> uh, Peter does have this battle with 
um, ego where ego finally just says the, the one thing that really seals his fate, you know, which is these people are below us. We are gods. Basically, Peter's not a god. He didn't want to be a god. He's got his family. And that kind of leads Peter to this massive battle with ego. It's mano a mano. I say massive in terms of, you know, what they're doing to each other, but it's really a, a battle between father and son. And ultimately kind of makes you wonder if James Gunn had some issues. I don't know if he did, but uh, ultimately, like I said, they do end up killing ego. And during this, we we kind of learned that Yandu was kind of this surrogate father for Peter. When he was growing up, he taught him how to do things. And Yandu realizes that to make sure Peter stays alive, he's going to have to take one for the team. And yes. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 it's touch and go. They don't know if they're going to make it. And Yandu asks Rocket, what have you got left? Okay. I got one air pack and air pack and oh, yeah, one, one with air and one spacesuit. Yeah. One rocket pack, one spacesuit. Oh, rocket pack. That's right. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I had to, I had to remember it myself and it's, it leads to this beautiful moment where Yondu saves Peter from death, but in the process dooms himself to death. But he tells Peter, look, that man may have been your father, but he didn't raise you. He wasn't your dad. I I raised you and I made sure. Yo daddy. Yeah, yo daddy. Um, and he sacrifices himself. And it's just, it's a, it's an amazing scene. It's a bittersweet. It's a heart wrencher. Um, you get the funeral. You get the funeral and, and all the ravagers show and, and somehow find out i think it was rocket sent out the rocket word. said he sent out the word yes of what of the sacrifice and 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 what went on and uh so all the ravagers show, show and give him the ravagers funeral he always dreamed of i actually teared up for that i i, I don't tear up did very you, easily did, in the movies did you did you catch near the end of it the the the, the symbol symbolism that was uh, uh, if i did that right uh, the the symbology that was uh, utilized. The arrow. Yeah, the arrow. Yeah. Um, ultimately, we have this moment where it's a story break with Nebula and Gamora. It indicates there's going to be a future relationship between these two, and that will pay dividends um, later on. And we end the story kind of right here. But uh, this is the first of the Marvels with five in credit scenes a lot of them yeah 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 and a couple of them they are just goofy. haven't done that yet uh, again yeah so yeah. a couple of them are goofy a couple of them kind of indicate important stuff this is where we learned that adam warlock will be a future player based on this and this is the Which only made me think that obviously. he was gonna oh wait i can't say Okay, it's no this has been out there in the public so i will say adam warlock does not show up in endgame all right, but but yes, because because I know about Adam Warlock, not because I was a fan of it, but I ran into it just doing, you know, research. updating of my own, you know, comics, uh, 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 you know, uh, in in 
digging out information of you know why what the Infinity right. Stones are about, and you find out there's only one guy that can handle that thing. There's one last thing I'm going to point out about this movie, and then we'll move on to the next, and it's about Meredith Quill. She is very telling in her musical selections. And if you look at the two awesome mixes, no, they're very important because they're two very different things, but they have very important meanings. The first awesome mix is about her relationship with her son and letting him know, hey, it's going to be okay. Go back and look at the playlist of that first one, and you'll see that. It's about a relationship between a mother and son. The second one, however, is her way of saying, this is who your father is. This is who he was to me. This is what he meant to me. And this is the information you need to know about the man that I loved. And it's it says so much listening to that music. And I know Gunn was defining it that way. And I'm good with that. And I was really impressed with it. Um, Fox on the run, really? Uh, that's not in the movie, though. It's only in the trailer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of trailers that took us by surprise, we won't talk about the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, though if you have not seen it yet, I do recommend doing so after you see Endgame. But the prequel to Spider-Man Far From Home is Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, again, sticking with awkward transitions tonight, we're going to stick with that one there. <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming is the next movie we're going to review tonight. And this one was released in 2017, directed by John Watts, who I was not familiar with before this movie. Uh, you got a main cast here that's a murderer's row. Uh, you got Tom Holland, Michael Keaton, Robert Downey Jr., Marissa Tomei, John Favreau, Zendaya Coleman, Laura Harrier, and Jacob Batalon. Now, a couple of those names you may not know, but they're also responsible for some of the best characters in this movie. So, following his adventures in Germany, Peter Parker is eager to impress as the amazing Spider-Man under the tutelage of Tony Stark and Happy Hogan. That's a lot of alliteration in that first sentence. You might want to mention out what, what about Berlin he was doing. We'll talk about that. Oh, all, right, all, right, all right. Peter juggles his hero duties with the pressures of teen life while a challenge arises in the form of the Vulture. Stan Lee does have a cameo as Gary the Neighborhood Guy. One of the sweetest roles, too, I thought. Oh, yeah, it's nice. And it's it was one so of the few New York Neighborhood, you know. One of the few that's named, too. He's almost never named. Right, right. Now, we get a lot of first appearances in this movie. Uh, the big one, to me, is Ned Leeds. Ned is Peter's friend, and he's played by Jacob Batalon. The guy in the chair. Guy in the chair. Uh, Michelle Jones or MJ. Yeah, that one caught me off guard. Oh, see that one coming. I didn't. No, but it's great when it does, doesn't it? It's a great subversion. Yeah, when you, you, yeah. No, just call me MJ. Her? (laughs) Flash Thompson, which is another great She's not a redhead. Oh, wait, I'm used to the comics. Yeah. Flash Thompson, also a subversion of the character. Adrian yeah, Toomes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Adrian Toomes, also known as the Vulture. Liz Toomes, his daughter, although I don't know that we're going to see her again in the future. Uh, Aaron Davis, the no, Prowler. She's got a lot of. Well. Good. Uh, 
Uh, we'll come back. Yeah. I want to talk about Liz because there's a lot to say about her to me. Aaron Davis, the Prowler, uh, makes his first appearance here. We may see him in the future. As well as Aaron's nephew, who gets mentioned, Miles Morales. Yes, yes. And, Matt, and, and it's a throwaway mention, too. It's just like yes, it is. Quickie. Matt Gargan gets a uh, first appearance in here, the Scorpion. Karen makes her first appearance in here. That is the AI for the spider oh, suit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, suit girl, no. Yes. Uh, uh, suit lady. Suit lady, yeah. Uh, Midtown Tech School gets its first place here, and we get our first shot of the Iron Spider Suit. You also get, uh, uh, oh yeah, that's <laughs> they didn't call it that, but yeah. Uh, How Tyne Daly got got involved with this? I mean, she I what she was an aunt of somebody. Quick cameo. Yeah. Jump in real quick. Go out. Get to say <laughs> you were in a Marvel movie. You get to say your Marvel movie, movie, movie. Maybe work at at scale. Yeah, probably so. Um, the villain in this is Adrian Toomes, known as the Vulture. And first thing we'll do is we'll talk about, I think this movie has some of the best openings in any of the Marvel movies. Uh, you get Michael Keaton with that great masterclass performance in this. He is so damn good in this movie. And he really brushed up his, his blue-collar accents. Yes, he brought it out because I'm I'm guessing because I was thinking it. He was going to go with I'm going to make sure nobody's going to expect me to say I'm Batman. Right. No, he's and, blue collar. And, and and I mean, he's got the accent down. Great. He's he's, you know, all about the construction and 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 he's actually a helpful guy. But he's he's also, you know, he's a he's a rigid uh, uh, businessman. And mm-hmm. and he's a risk taker, as is evident how he so. damn near loses his business. Well, actually, I think he did. Well, and that's the thing. I, I wrote about that, that Toombs is an average guy who gets completely screwed up front, totally screwed by Stark. And that first scene tells us, really, this isn't going to be your average Spider-Man movie, and he's not going to be your average Spider-Man over-the-top villain. Um, this guy feels grounded. He feels down to earth. He happens to know a couple of guys that are really, really smart, and he's got access to all of this material that's really, really powerful, and that leads him to become a criminal. What was now, the smart guy's name? Abe? No, I forget. I forget his name. I don't actually have it noted. He was so. He was so cute. I mean, he was so. Oh, he was great. You know, it's just well, yeah. The, oh, well, or whatever. Well, no, there's a scene, and, and you're not there yet. I, I, I wanted to go into the finding the right equipment scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, but anyway, let's go. Um, I will also say this. Vulture looks badass. Yes, and it's never really called Vulture. No, not once. Um, and, and it's just all of us who are Spider-Man fans recognized it immediately, but this is a badass... I mean, almost the same. Well, no, it's not the same technology as 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 one of the uh, Iron Man suits. But I mean, wow, uh, the 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 gen. No, I used the word Genesis already. The 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 flow from you know they're just working guys trying to make a make make a buck. Which wasn't he in? 
like a working guys movie? No, he was in Gung Ho. Gung Ho. Yeah, oh, I'm, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. Gung Ho. And, uh, uh, you know, kind of migrates. You see, what is that? Seven years later or something. They do the set, you know, the five years later, seven years later. Eight, and now, which now is the first real screw up in the MCU as far as timeline goes. It wasn't eight years. Um. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. No. It shouldn't have been. That's right. Uh, Should have been about five. Yeah. Adrian Toomes is overly ambitious, and that's what gets him in trouble every time. Um, it's what leads him into a life of crime, and he's good at it. But he gets too ambitious. He's never. Let me rephrase. He is a criminal, but he's rarely a villain. And I'll explain what I mean by that later. But keep that in the back of your mind, that he is definitely a criminal, but I can't call him a villain at this point in the movie. Um, from there, we get the second greatest Marvel Studios opening, the use of the 60s Spider-Man theme. Oh, my God. I was grinning like an idiot. <laughs> Just an absolute idiot. Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. I love the Spider-Man. use of that. Now, here I am. I'm singing along with it. My kid's next to me going, Spider Pig? Spider, spider Pig. Because that's what he it's knows. Whatever Spider Pig can. Um, but the thing that made me grit even more was Peter Parker's home movie. <laughs> <laughs> he is so excitable. He is so enjoying he's so what he's dorky. doing. Such a dork. And never is that more clear than when he's trying to narrate the drive to the <laughs> airport. Brooklyn. It's dark out here. It's tough. And Happy Hogan's in the front. Like, what are you doing? Are you, are you taping this? You, you know you can't keep that tape. We're going to wipe that phone. I love the fact that Happy's pretty much there to kind of bust his balls through the whole movie. But this also goes Again, along with... another job of Happy Hogan that didn't quite work out. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, were good. you hit the nail on the head. Happy <laughs> Cannot find a job. He can't hold a job. I mean, this is just he's lucky. But he's good he's at driving. Big buddy. He's good at driving. But he, and he's lucky he's got a buddy in in Tony Stark. <laughs> um, you get a couple different angles of the Berlin fight. I love the fact that he had no idea he was getting the suit till he got there. Right, right. Um, I love no, when better than that. It's like wait, I've got more. Wait, this room is bigger than I thought it was. Wait, this is my yes. room. <laughs> yes, that is a t- Tom Holland plays Peter Parker as a teenager, as a 15 yes. year old kid so well. I, I got to say, I was excited about that part of it because of I mean, I didn't want to see this movie. I was like, another Spider-Man. Oh, come on. You're killing me. My wife now in the, the third generation. And and by just happenstance, I had to sit through the movie and it was terrible. I was, it was on a projection screen. The sound was awful. And and I, I watched the movie and I went, OK, I'm going to go home and watch this now on a real television, mm-hmm. because while it was crappy, whoa. Now, that's not to say I didn't have my problems. I. I do not like the whole teenage angst shit. Uh, See, no, I thought they school, did that perfectly. It's freaking high school, man. I already did that. Okay. I, I, I don't want to review that. Well, admittedly, for us, we have a little bit of distance from it, and you know, I'm 25 years. Yeah, from high school, yeah, you're a little you know, longer than that. But 
Um, yeah, you dope. You're, you're, you're the girl's interested in you. You didn't figure that out. Come on. Well, okay. Now, to be fair, average teenager is not going to be able to figure that out necessarily. But teenager who's also fighting as a local vigilante crime fighter, wearing a multi-million dollar suit given to him by his tech billionaire hero figure, father figure. Now we're really stretching the, the, the reality. I think it's okay that he missed that the girl liked him is all I'm saying. <laughs> but he does have that partner in crime who's there to bust his balls and be excited about everything. Ned. <laughs> I love Ned in that this movie. A, that was a fun scene that 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 Peter Parker sneaking back into his yes. room yes. And, and is crawling on the ceiling and quietly closes the door, drops down, turns around, and there's Ned who who's holding his his, Death Star. his Lego Death Star, which I know would would, would appeal to you. <laughs> drops that motherfucker fan, right there. Fans, fans, uh, uh, Finley's a huge Lego. I am not a huge Lego guy. I've got a few Lego things. They're pop culture stuff. Shut it. Um, (laughs) Right. The guy who details building his Ghostbusters set of Legos. That thing was $400. You're damn right I detailed it. Okay, I may have just defeated my own argument. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Case dismissed. Drop the microphone. Well, shit. (laughs) Um. Anyway, <laughs> that scene is magical to me when when he does that. And it's just a small scene, but you get that. <laughs> Can exc- you lay eggs? <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that's moving on. I, I realize that. I'm sorry. I just realized that. <sighs> no. And then you get the reintroduction of Aunt May, who – okay. The thing about Aunt May you need to know, folks, is Marissa Tomei wanted to play her older. They said No. Why would we do that? That's that's that doesn't make sense. Peter's fifteen years old. Why would he have a seventy-year-old aunt? So um, ultimately, though, what they what they kind of did in this movie is they had her wear pants from the nineteen fifties the entire movie. She's always wearing these pants that go up to about three inches below her chest, <laughs> and it's my grandmother. Not, not, not flattering for an Oscar winner. Not flattering for an Oscar winner in her 40s, no. And my grandmother <laughs> would wear these things. She died at 84, and she was wearing those kind of clothes till the end. Marissa Tomei should not <laughs> be wearing this, but I love the fact that everybody's trying to hit on May. Oh, oh, oh. and 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 there's a, a okay. So yes, the the return. The, the, Tony Stark is is, you know. It, Taking him home. Peter, yeah. And oh yeah, yeah, we better do something. Yeah, put up the video. Yeah, yeah. We gotta adjust that. Yeah. Hey, we had a great time at the seminar in Berlin, blah, 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 blah. And, and in the meantime, he's like, she's hot, right? You know what I mean? She's, you know, it's not creepy or anything, is it? Yeah. Um, something we get early on in this movie is no, no, we get no, to no. See- that's not a hug. I'm I'm opening the door to get you out yes. of my car. Yes. I like that. <laughs> We get a lot of shots of what Peter does. There's that opening battle stuff that's great, but I love the fact that we get to see the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man aspect of Spider-Man. We get to see him on his routine, going out, helping people on the street, um, gets a free what churro did, what did from he, somebody. What did he call the the, the, the uh, bicycle thief? It was like you know, the... the, the um 
Serial, yeah, he called it a serial bicycle thief. Yeah. I caught the serial bicycle thief. That was good. Then I helped a lady, you know, with directions. She bought me a churro. I like that. Yeah. And I love the fact that Tony Stark actually references that stuff. Well, yeah, and and that's the thing, because you kind of get the feeling while he's he's leaving these messages for Tony Stark, who Tony Stark told him up front, Happy Hogan is your contact man. Right. But he's leaving messages for Stark and he's like, you know, hey, call me if you need me something. And and you're getting the, the impression that he's I mean, it's a year later. Absolutely. And, and, no, it's two and, months later. I thought it was a year later. No, okay. it's two months. So him walking down the, the uh, going to school, walking down the, the, the train, the train entrance. That's a, that's only a few months later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's two months after Berlin. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, um, you, 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 you're getting a feeling that he, the, that the poor kid is like, I, I want to do more, but nobody's listening to me. So right. you do get that teenager angst of nobody understands me. Which plays out so well later in the movie. There are a couple of Especially, different scenes. Especially, yeah. Why don't you go back to, you know, yeah, churros. And, yeah. Um, there's that one, and then there's the scene later on we'll talk about after the boat. But before we get to any of that. Um, we still on the high school thing? Well, no, we're going to move on from that. Well, but, okay, before we go, I want to put a just a little little bug that the, yeah, go ahead. the, the principal in the movie. Yes. Good call out. Uh, who was Principal Morita, which is a nod to Pat Morita, uh, was Kenneth Choi, who actually was in uh, Iron, uh, pff, Iron Man. Uh, was in was in Captain America uh, as as uh, 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 one one of the 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 Howling Commandos. Howling Commandos. Um, yeah, he plays and his, plays yeah. his great. Grand, grandson or something like he that. Actually, grandson. Yeah. Right. If you if you if you look quickly, it's so shown so fast. But if you're looking for it, it's just to the right of screen, and it's a picture of his grandfather, which is a picture of him in black and white yep. on on a file cabinet. It's a nod to just kind of mentioning that character's existence. Nice little nice little touch. Little 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 sneak that in there. Nobody's really looking for it. Kind of touch. Oh, absolutely. Um, this movie does something that's really impressive to me from the beginning. Uh, the thing that it does that impresses me the most is that it touches on the themes uh, from Spider-Man, the traditional Spider-Man themes of responsibility without doing the tropes of a Spider-Man movie. There's no Uncle Ben. There's no great power, great responsibility speech. They show instead of tell. And in a movie like this, that is so important. You get little snippets of it, you know, everything Aunt May has been going through, and you know they they do stuff like that. We, this is why I'm glad you like this movie as much as you do. We have seen that uh, scene play yeah, out. Don't go too far. Don't go too far down that rabbit hole. No, but I think the fact I think the fact of the matter is we didn't need to see another Spider-Man origin movie. No, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one because. I mean, I don't need to see Ben go down again. Uh, no. I, I don't want to see that all over again. We've seen that too many times. Toby, Toby McGuire. I think of Toby McGuire. I don't, I don't think of the other guy. Uh, and it's like, you. we're done. Yeah, whatever his name was. Uh, the Sam Raimi reign of, of, of Spider-Man. Yeah. And that movie did it well. Uh, we didn't see it here, and we didn't need to. And I think oh, that's I got to admit, I do miss Bruce Campbell. I'm always a fan of his. <laughs> 
Um, it would have been nice for him to just show up, but it's not his world. Yeah. I will say this. You talked about the calls to Tony, and they're, they're to happy as well, and these are further proof of his desire to impress. Peter wants to impress his hero. That's all he wants to do as Spider-Man. And, you know, this leads to the robbery scene, and all of this further demonstrates that concept of responsibility. <laughs> Which leads, I mean, you get to the robbery scene, and then you get to the confrontation between him, uh, between Spider-Man and Iron Man. But it's actually Peter Parker talking to Iron Man, who's now floating in front of him, uh, you know, and they're they're talking. Yeah. And you you suddenly... You know, uh, what is he? He tries to call him out. Listen, what, you know, it'd be easier to, t- to to talk to you if you weren't inside the suit. Oh, I, no, I'm not inside the suit. No. He actually looked like he was in freaking India. Yes, that's kid, where he kid, was. Kid, you'd be in more trouble now if, if this place didn't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> and this is after. OK, so I got to go back to Ned because that scene is a direct tie into previous stuff with Ned. Ned is so excitable about the fact that Peter is Spider-Man. He is so into the idea of like this so that when he hears a group of girls and this other guy talking about oh, all the heroes and stuff. That's, that's the precise stuff that I'm like, oh, no. And then Ned fucks up. Peter knows Spider-Man. What the fuck are you doing, dude? You don't tell people that. But it leads to the exactly what Peter Parker said. Yeah. Oh, I know. And Peter's right. But Ned wants to be the buddy of Spider-Man so much and gets to be the buddy of Spider-Man so much. He is. Ned's a great character in that sense, a great teenage character. Um, This leads to a scene later on where we go to a party. Spider-Man's supposed to show up because Peter said he'd bring Spider-Man. And instead, Spider-Man gets brought into what Spider-Man does, which is stopping crime. And I love the fact that the party gets ruined for Peter because he has to work like Spider-Man at this point. I love the fact that he's <laughs> trying you to discover that he's out in the suburbs and he can't do his usual. I made a note across. <laughs> I noted that Peter, I mean, Spider-Man's powers suck in the suburbs. <laughs> you don't have buildings you could use. No, no, not at all. But we do get some great jokes in there. I always yeah. wondered that as a kid watching the 1960s cartoon. I was like, okay, so he's going along. He's shooting it up. What's he doing? Grabbing on the clouds? How the hell does that work? Yeah. But we do uh, we do have the fight. We do have the scene with Iron Man where Iron Man rescues him after Toombs nearly kills Peter. Um, we do learn that the suit is even more powerful than we thought. Uh, the Spider-Man suit. Yes. And ultimately, it's under under the training wheels protocol. Yes. Um, Ultimately, we get to a point where Ned and Peter are able to track the bad guys. Uh, And that's that's great. I love the fact that you just get these cut scenes of Ned's watching this and okay, they're going here. Uh, They're going here. And then you get that beautiful shot of Ned in the mask. (laughs) <laughs> that, is, that is one of the funniest visuals in this whole movie. Do you have the mask on? No. And then he's just sitting there in the mask. <laughs> um, before this, there is a scene that happens that I want to talk about real quick. And it's a scene where Shocker, the first Shocker, says, you know, he, he's clearly 
not a team player. Toombs tries to fire him, and he says, well, well, do you really want me out there? And yeah. Toombs... This is the scene I was, I was referencing. Right. Toombs grabs what he thinks is one weapon, and it turns out to be something else, and ends up <laughs> killing him. <laughs> that wasn't the... That wasn't the stun gun? The anti-gravity no. gun. Yeah, that wasn't the anti-gravity gun? No, that was the black hole. Yeah. Now, I will say this. This this scene, to me, like I said, it, it, it further strengthens my point that Toombs is a criminal, not a villain. He didn't go into this intending to kill Shocker. That being said, his response to the situation is brutal. It's very dismissive, matter-of-factly. Okay. Well, he's dead now. And he's pragmatic. Yeah, yes, he's pragmatic. Great way to put it. Absolutely. Uh, good call. I was being ironic, but yeah. well, it's still true. Um, we get uh, we get the scene where Peter realizes that the criminals are going to Maryland and this gives him a chance to uh, get there because he's part of an academic competition team. And he is going to be able to go to D.C. to... And this was a real dick move. Uh, getting the other kid kicked off the team? Getting the other kid kicked off the team. He uses this as a way to get out of town. Disables his uh, GPS tracking. And, and Enables and Karen. Then enables Karen and then screws over everyone. Almost. I'm going to say almost to that because they do ultimately win the competition, but without him. Yes. Oh no. That's one of those things. I agree with you completely. It is entirely a dick move doing what he did. And while they try to excuse it with the idea of, well, flash Thompson's a dick too, but that doesn't excuse Peter's behavior. I agree with you. It's irresponsible. Peter's not performing responsibly. Now, I have points to make about that later on. But here, this is on Peter. The things that we see happen happen because Peter's not acting responsibly. He goes out, finds the bad guys again, or finds the the criminals, gets trapped, and ends up stuck at uh, Damage Control's storage facility where they keep all of the stuff. And this is where we first get to really meet Karen, his AI, and she is played by Jennifer Connolly, who is Paul Bettany's wife. The uh, inside joke on this: Paul yes. Bettany plays Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah, uh, which, which, as a, as a, as a, as it's noted, um, she was cast also because of appearances in a John Hughes produced Career Opportunities in 1991. Yes. Now, Homecoming uh, plays a lot of homage to Hughes films. Yes, it does. As 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 he's running through backyards, there's a Ferris Bueller. They're 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 playing Ferris Bueller in the background. Yep. So and, and it's and it's the running over and through bushes, just like Ferris Bueller was. Yeah. So this movie is very much a superhero John Hughes movie. Um, uh, it is an entirely apt description to call it that. I feel, and how you feel about John Hughes movies is kind of how you maybe feel towards this movie or may indicate how you may feel towards this movie. And if you're older or if you are not finding those to be as entertaining, 
then yeah, you, your mileage may vary is the best way I can put it. Um, Peter has struggles here and they play out on a larger scale, but the struggle is still the same. He's trying to be seen as an adult and he's trying to be seen as a grown up with grown up abilities and things like that. But he's not really a grown up. He's still a kid. He's a 15 year old kid. And the point is made that, look, you've got time to learn, man. You don't have to rush in completely. But as kids often do at that age, they want to be everything they can be right now. You know, how many times have you seen that? You've got two teenage or you've got two boys that are one out of teenage years, the other one smack dab in the middle of it. This is the kind of stuff that teenage kids do. I mean, even if even if they don't have superpowers and the ability to climb, climb on walls. Oh, I don't know. My kids have climb walls, but that's another story. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as much as Peter has his problems that are caused by his own actions, the person I feel is the real tragic figure in this movie is Liz. And I wanted to talk about that. This is a person who has always done her best effort and has always had the best intentions, truly a good person. And she's a tragic figure. Her life just goes to shit and it's not her fault at all. She's trying her best to be a good person and to, to be a productive member of society. Her dad's a villain. The boy she likes keeps fucking around on her because she can't tell her the truth. And she just keeps getting the, the shaft on certain things. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, I love the fact that Karen exists. I like the fact that Stark would protect Peter and not really tell him much about it, but would give him an AI as well. Uh, she's funny with with 512 web variations. Yes. <laughs> um, Jennifer Connelly does a good job as the voice of her. One. What is it? What is the mode? What is the mode that he actually finally gets to use? But. Um, uh, multi-kill so multi-kill or instant kill mode in, in, instant kill mode and the eyes turn red yes <laughs> no no, uh, no 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 ultimately we find out that some of the stuff that Peter has uh, gotten from the bad guys one of which that uh, Ned has is highly explosive and this leads to a scene at the Washington Monument which is a highlight of this movie uh, the rescue of Peter's classmates from the Washington Monument after it's damaged in an explosion is really well done. And, you know, you get this stuff where Peter's trying to save them at the same time Capitol Police are trying to stop him. He's trying to figure out how to do all this. And you get these shots from from where Peter's standing that made my there's no other way to put it. Made my testicles shrivel inside of my body because I'm afraid of heights that much. Just I, I clench up like nobody's business whenever I see heights. I am not good. Um, um, Finley, yeah, you, you, you could have put that a lot better. Okay. Edit. Five, four, three. We get these shots from the top of the Washington Monument that just make my entire body shrivel into a ball of angst. And... <laughs> That was the second version of this, folks. <laughs> you doubt this one was a lot better. <laughs> um, ultimately, he does rescue them. 
and it's a fun scene to watch. It's a it's a great scene. It reminds us that Flash Thompson's an idiot because he's more concerned about saving his trophy than he is about his own life for his teammates. Oh, that was that was so awful. Uh, and 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 he's still getting away with it. That's yeah, well, sort of. He gets his comeuppance by the end, though. Sort of. Yeah. Um. This leads to the uh, point where Peter's trying to figure out what these people are doing. You get these recorded videos of Peter in the suit when he finds out that Karen records everything that he sees. <laughs> Those are hilarious. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I Think love of a teenage boy. E- everything. I hope he's not doing that in the suit. Oh, 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 I, I, I was, I was sitting there going, oh, don't, don't, and that would be funny as hell, but no, don't, don't, don't do that. You'll, you'll all you it. see is, all you see is his reflection of his face in the mirror, and it's bobbing up and down really fast. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you get an Aaron interrogation of Aaron where he's trying uh, to use the interrogative mode, which is funny as hell. You're not really good at this. I don't know. What do you think? I, I, you I'm fine at this. I'm fine at this. I'll, I'll rip your head off. No, no, oh. no. Dude, you, you really need to work on that. Ultimately, he determines that something's going to happen on the Staten Island Ferry, and that whole sequence is really great. I love how that sequence goes. Now, that one looked like what I've seen in the comic books and in some of the cartoons. Yes. I mean... There he is in the middle, trying to hold it together, a la, a la, which I thought was kind of a little nod to, to, to Civil War, Captain America, and the hel- helicopter scene. Ah, yes. No, I don't disagree with you. I think it's a little nod to that, as well as to the train sequence in Spider-Man 2. Right, right. And, and then... And then, yeah, go on. I called that this the the shot of Peter trying to hold the boat together and then seeing Iron Man come in to save the day. I called that a Marvel moment. You know, we not every movie has it, but it's that almost iconic moment from the movie. Didn't know how he was going to solve it. And suddenly there he is. And of course, well, yeah, there he is. And 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 he's he quickly. OK, so where did the little micro jets come from? He happened to have those. That's the problem I always have with super guys. Batman was the same thing. Really? He's carrying that in the utility belt? Come on. This is the man who built 40-something suits at one point. Diane. Diane. All designed for different... So, of course, he's... Yeah, he's he's got... He just happens to have microjets so he could put a ship that was just lasered in half together. Well, I think they were designed for something else. They just happened to be used for this. That's that's my personal take on it. I'd like but, to what, but okay. Need to get a bunch of cars going really fast? I, I don't know. I don't know. I got, I don't know. I got the, the imagination runs wild with possibility. <laughs> but this does lead to a great scene where Tony dresses down Peter and we find out Tony's actually there. Unlike previously in the movie. Yes. <laughs> now you're not he, even here. Yes, I am. Steps yeah. out. And this is something I wanted to point out here. Tony's dressing down Peter and it's earned. Peter screws up in this scene, but Peter screws up because of Tony. Now I'm going to make this point, And this is something that I realized early on. The third 
quarter of the the third act of this entire movie could have been stopped and could have been completely wiped away as far as the criminal actions, things like that, had Tony looped Peter in and said, hey, look, thanks for that info. I'm bringing it to the right people. We're going to get this taken care of. Let us handle it at this point. Instead of treating him like a child and saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to solve this problem and, you know, that, that, yeah, and not tell him. Right. And Tony has this problem. This is, this is something I actually pointed out in kind of my negatives of, of the whole thing. There's a recurring theme in the Infinity Saga of Tony Stark having to atone for uh, past mistakes, and this movie adds yet another one. Like I said, had he just let Peter in on the plan to get tombs on the boat, much of that at that point could have been avoided. It's a continuing problem with Tony, but to me it feels a little, little bit like a lazy writing. Like they, they, they fall back on that. And it's one of those things that didn't necessarily, as a viewer, it felt to me a little bit like, okay, yeah, he's got to, he's going to have this. So he's got to do this. I, I really think that, I mean, yes, it would have made for a boring movie. Let's be honest though. The Staten Island ferry scene in and of itself could have been, in other movies, the final battle. Sure. Sure, I could see that. Now, that being said, we go from there to Peter's back at home, and Aunt May is pissed and worried and shocked and angry, and it's all deserved. And then... Oh, say it. I'm actually not. I'm at a loss. I don't know what you're telling me to say. She knows. Well, no, that's not there. She doesn't know at this point. No, she doesn't know until she the says, very she last. Says, shot. I know you've been going out. Oh, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry. And, and, I know you've been. That dialogue out. leads me to, to realize she knows. No, she doesn't know he's Spider-Man, but she knows he's been doing other shit. She doesn't know what it is. And to me, that's where the anger and worry and shock is coming from. She doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't know why he's sneaking out of the hotel room in, in D.C. She doesn't know why he's you know, skipping school and doing all this other stuff. All she knows is he's not doing what she's expecting him to do. And she knows how much of the influence Tony Stark's been on him. And so when she finds out that the Stark internship thing is over that Peter's been so excited about and this is why he's so down, to me that feels honest. It doesn't feel like she's she's being – what's the word I want to use? Yeah, but that's a great big lie and all he's doing is supporting the lie. I think it's a lie she's maybe telling to herself, but I don't think that she immediately went to, and you're Spider-Man. You know? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure, but okay. No, it's it's two interpretations of a scene. Certainly, that's going to happen. We certainly don't have to agree on it all the time. Um, Peter does ask out Liz eventually to the homecoming dance, and I thought that was sweet. It was a nice little sequence. <laughs> but you find out that. Hold on! Don't the, don't go to, don't uh, go to where you're going yet, because I want to say this: the best sequence in the whole movie. Starts with ringing the doorbell. Oh, oh yes, yeah, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, okay. where he he suddenly realizes, oh shit, 
the girl I'm wanting to take to the dance's father is the guy I've been chasing around this last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Everything from that point to the dance itself is a masterclass clinic in acting and suspense. There are two different things that go on here, and Keaton gets high praise for these, and it's earned the way he performs in these scenes. My personal favorite is the car, but a close, close sec- second is when Peter's talking to Adrian Toomes in the uh, kitchen. And Toomes is asking him just these normal questions and stuff. and you know, Has no idea what like, yet. Has no idea right. yet. But look at his face the whole time he's doing it. If you look at his face, and Keaton's got those damn eyebrows that just arch like nobody's business. And it works to great effect here because if you look at him from the perspective of Peter Parker – He's looking at this guy and like, oh, my God, this is the bad guy. And he looks like the bad guy, even though everything he's doing is completely innocuous. It is brilliant. Yeah, he's work. in the kitchen. He's, he's got the knife. Cutting, up, cutting up some sausage and cheese or something. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it's, it's brilliantly done, but it leads to my favorite point in this movie, and that's where Keaton figures out the Peter Parker Spider-Man. Puts it all together. And understand – little flimsy on how he put it together, but yes. But it, it, is a, it is a callback to an earlier scene in the movie where Toomes says, I'm going to kill this kid. I'm going to kill this guy, whoever he is, but then sees the footage of the attack on the, the – Yes, that, that's where I was going to go was that saving of his friends at, at the Washington Monument yeah. pays off in the, in the end. Yes, it does. And it leads to – the best interaction between Toombs and Parker. And I use those two names instead of Spider-Man and Vulture. And this is, this goes back to what I was saying before. Toombs is a criminal, but the only really villainous moments he has in this movie are this one, where he overtly threatens Peter and his family, which is wonderful writing. And later on in the warehouse, and we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, yeah, I found that that car scene as a as a as a real teller of of suspense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean even Tombs they, they they show that subtlety where he picks up a gun and he, and he's and he's got it in his hand. Yeah, and and he's ready to draw down, but you know he even says, "If it weren't for the fact that you saved my daughter, you're dead." Now you go and you're going to show my my daughter a good time. And you'll never talk about this. And we'll never talk this again. And you stay out of my way. And you stay out of my business. Yeah. I thought that was just completely brilliant. I love that scene. Um, It does lead to Peter yet again disappointing Liz. But you get this little quick battle with Shocker and you get Ned saving the day, which I thought was hilarious. And then Ned finally gets to be the guy in the chair. And the payoff to that is one of the funniest lines in the movie. Yes, yes. Um, Peter steals Flash Thompson's dad's car, but needs Ned to be the guy in the chair to figure out how to turn on the damn lights. He also needs Ned to track his phone. So Ned's doing multiple things guy in the chair wise. Ultimately gets Peter to where he needs to go and gets caught and tells them rather than helping Spider-Man, he was looking at porn. I just <laughs> thought that I thought that was such a great moment. What are you doing? 
I'm looking at porn. Looking at porn. <laughs> you can hear the defeat in his voice. <laughs> um, you do get to the warehouse scene where Peter and Adrian have this conversation. And ultimately, it's meant to distract Peter from the fact that Toombs is trying to get his suit ready to go. And he does. And he drops a damn building on Spider-Man. Which is actually part of the comic book legend. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Go ahead. Um, many times Parker has gotten out of, out of a jam and in, in, you know, in a significant scene within his, in his comic book series, um, an entire building is dropped on him and he is struggling to get out. I mean, you can actually hear it really, really good on Tom Holland, uh, because you can hear, the the shakiness in his voice, the worry of I don't know if I can do this. I mean, he's got a building and a huge mammoth air conditioner laying on his head. Yes, and it's one of the things that they've always said about Spider Man is 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 his strength, the the strength of a of a spider in scale, and being able to lift all of that, and it's that's part of the legend. And it's emotional strength as well. Part of it comes from the fact that he has to be strong internally. And and that's what he has happen here. He has to man up. And I I use that term, but it's it in a sense it's kind of true. Peter gets out of it, chases after tombs. Uh, this leads to a final battle, which to me is a bit muddled. It doesn't look that great to me. Um, it's very dark at times. And then at one point, they're fighting on an airplane that is set to be invisible. But when you get up close to it, there's just a bunch of lights. That, to me, is visually confusing. Uh, the very final battle is uh, Toombs tries to escape. His backpack explodes. Peter saves him, uh, which is great. Once again, we see the goodness of Peter. Um, Toombs goes to jail. Uh, his daughter and his wife end up leaving. Liz leaves, and she has this heartbreaking final conversation yeah. with Peter. Yeah, uh, just a just a sad thing. Yeah, there's there's no recovery on that one. No. Um, ultimately, find out that MJ is has in fact been in this movie the whole time. Michelle is MJ, and that feels right to me in this movie. I like that they had her be MJ. Um, I like that they went with a different person. Why? Why stick to the to the standard redhead? Know, standard, you know, white waspy redhead. I like the fact that they they they're jazzing up, and and you know, changing the culture. I mean, MJ is obviously you know some sort of uh, either Latin or 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 Mediterranean. I mean, the dark skin and the and the the curly hair. I I haven't actually looked up the actress and I think Zendaya's mixed Zendaya, race. Zendaya, yeah. And uh, Diana knocked I could be wrong. Out, <laughs> you know. Oh, gorgeous girl. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous girl. And then you get that Yeah, those are gonna, those are going to be hard future scenes. Those are going to be really rough on Tom Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently the two adore each other, not like in love, but just adore hanging out with each other. Um, which he's a young dude anyway, that doesn't surprise well, me. Well, she admits she doesn't have any friends. Huh. I don't know. Could it be the go fuck off, uh, you know, sign she seemed to always have on her forehead? Yeah, a little bit. 
Uh, we do have Happy reappear here. He's here to get Peter and also thank him. <laughs> in thank a you. Funny, you saved funny my job. <laughs> yes. Um, and then we get uh, Peter gets the offer. He gets to be an Avenger. Gets that a new suit. One was a. Uh, I thought that was the direction it was going to go. Uh, you know, yeah. Tony Stark is going to bring him into the fold and bring him into the Avengers. And Peter stops. Mm-hmm. And he thinks about it a minute and goes, you know, I'm not ready. Yes. And I love that. I'm not ready. I haven't even finished high school yet. I'm not ready. Let me continue to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man for a while longer. Right. And let me keep the old suit. Yeah. Well, not quite. Uh, Tony says the suit's yours. And Peter's like, I get to keep the suit? Yeah, yeah, fine. Here you go. Take the suit. <laughs> yeah, but Which, it's not it's not the it's not the iron butterfly. Not the iron spider. spider. It's, it's iron spider. <laughs> iron butterfly. Oh my god. In a, nice. In a, in a, <laughs> it's not the iron spider suit, it's the traditional suit. <laughs> You get that last shot of Peter wearing the suit. Peter's wearing the suit again. And there's Aunt May with the best line of the movie. What the (laughs) (laughs) fuck? Oh, my God. That moment. That is the that is the new. That's the new I am Iron Man moment (laughs) to me. And I'm dead serious about it. That moment subverted. Yeah, but uh, come on, Marvel was playing with us before. I mean, they did that to yes. us uh, in, in in Avengers two. Well, Marvel's never been the biggest Avengers, <gasps> and you're yeah. held there. You're 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 you. you uh... This was the kind of the reverse, though, because we never saw it coming. None of us expected May to learn. Certainly, she's still freaking clueless, from what I understand in the comic books, and. To have it goes back and forth. Sometimes she does. Sometimes she doesn't. Yeah. I mean, at, at one point she was she was brought into uh, Avengers now Mansion, and uh, they they had a, a series where Jarvis was an actual person. Yes. And she and Jarvis had a thing. Uh. <laughs> anyway, um, you do get this final scene with Tombs where Scorpion walks up to him and says, "I heard you know where Spider Man in." Spider, who Spider-Man is, Tombs protects the secret, and I, I love that. And and you wonder why? I mean, you you think I, it's because again he saved my life, saved my family. I think it's or, that, I th- or is it the other? No, I'm going to get the revenge. No one else. I think it's the first part. I think it is honestly. There's a code of honor for Tombs. He's not a villain. He's yes. a criminal. Yeah, yeah, he he did have a coat of armor, uh, honor, sorry. And I think that that's honestly what it is. And that little bit of honor and the code of of how to live is the reason he will never tell who Spider-Man is, at least from what we can tell. Um, The last thing we see is the final of the scenes that we've had throughout the entire movie, Captain America PSAs, which are funny as hell. <laughs> the last we, we forgot to mention that scene in the high school too, where where uh, you know they're they're all supposed to be seeing this PSA, and the gym teacher says, "I'm pretty much sure that this guy's a criminal, but we still have to show this." 
Yeah, it's the law. We got to show you. So whatever. <laughs> How many more of these are we gonna do? <laughs> the the best one's the very last thing. So let's talk about patience or whatever it is. Uh, anticipation. Uh, speaking of anticipation, I know you've been anticipating what our Stan Lee rating would be on these. Oh, so let's. This is a tough, tough portion. I've been dreading this. Well, I'll make you get through it first and rip the Band-Aid off. What is your review for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? What's your Stanley rating? And let's – editor's note, let's try to keep it below 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> not a subtle editor's note. I'm not removing that, but – Okay. So your, the short version? Your, your Stanley ratings sometimes go longer than your actual conversation about well, then the Then I re-re- re-review the stuff that you didn't cover. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's bring that in a little bit. Stanley rating for Guardians 2. What you got? You invited me because I can talk. Yes, I um, am. <laughs> <laughs> this All is right, where Galaxy, 20 years of friendship get, gets you. Yeah, Galaxy Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um uh I'm going to give it a 3. And 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 it's I I I I, I could make an argument for three and a half. I can't give four. Um, okay. It's it's it, it's a lot of slapstick comedy. There's as you mentioned, there was a lot of stuff in there that really, you, you know, I thought this was supposed to be about ego and you you in, in, invent these, you know, the 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 gold guys, not invent, but you bring them in just so you can lay out something for uh, uh, three movies down that you don't know if you're going to get them and. Um, because I, I want to point out about other stuff that's been done the same and never followed. Hello, yeah. Ten Rings. Um, and and so it was. There was a lot of distractions. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy isn't my favorite uh, uh, series of the of the of the movies, only because it was not something I ever followed. Hell, I really never. I'd fallen out of comics by then. I didn't even know it existed until these movies. Um, Fair. Now, uh, it was great to see some some stuff. Uh, I, there was a little jumping on a shark there for me. I thought with with uh, Gamora, but they needed that one. Um, I loved Kurt Russell, but he was over the top. It's okay. like lately he's been dying to be the bad guy, and he did die as the bad guy. <laughs> So I'm going to go three. Okay. So I can't go five. Um, For me, there's a couple things that really draw this down. Uh, The fact of the matter is the sovereign is one too many stories. And this movie, I agree with you. This movie is the goofiest of the Marvel movies to date. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a bit of a distraction at times. Um, also, this movie missed out on the Tangle and Cash reunion we all didn't know we needed. <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't even think of that one. Well played. Well played. Did not that, think of that. The final battle is a little tough to watch at times, but I will say this. This movie speaks to me. 
Uh, I've talked in the past on this podcast in a previous version of it about my relationship with my father and how while it's good now for a little while there is very strained and we didn't see each other very much. This movie and that aspect of the movie spoke to me hardcore. And because of my relationship with this movie, it may be clouding my view of it. I can't give it a five. It does not earn that. It doesn't deserve it. But I can give it a four stan rating. So for us, yeah, I buy that. I can buy that. For us, our true believer rating is three and a half stands for Guardian of the Galaxy Volume Two. And with that being said, we'll move on to Spider-Man: Homecoming. Now, and I'll try I, to keep it as short as possible. Uh, in that case, let's test that theory. Go ahead. <laughs> um, while this had some teen angst to it that I just detest on so many levels. Uh, it was a fun movie. It was a great movie. It was a, um, it was a great interplay of, of humor and action, uh, brought in characters that you wanted to see, um, highlighted a relationship that, that, uh, that, that is, is portrayed very well in the comic books between Iron Man and Spider-Man. I was not a, a participant of that during the comic book era, because I left the comic books before, before that all kind of evolved. Um, so that was kind of neat to see that little, that little back and forth between the two. Um, Tom Holland is, I mean, even Tobey Maguire has to admit this guy really nailed it. Um, and, and is the youngest character, young, youngest actor to have portrayed. I mean, he himself was 19 years old when he started this. Um, so, I'm going to go for it. Four stands. Fair enough. I loved it. This movie... A surprise. Um, a real surprise. I meant to mention that. Fair enough. This movie does something that uh, is amazing to me. It gives us both a great Peter Parker and a great Spider-Man and characters that feel like the ones in the comic books. It gives us Peter Parker as a kid. He's 15 years old and he feels like a 15-year-old kid in this. This is a full introduction of Spider-Man to the MCU where he belongs. And it gives us the one of the best villains of the entire MCU series. And I don't say that lightly. Adrian Toomes is a wonderful character. and He was just, an underplayed character in, yes. in the comic books. Yes. And this movie did things that were very important. They redeemed the Spider-Man series. They redeemed the Spider-Man character, uh, and, and, and used, used the MCU version of storytelling to tell the best movie they could. I absolutely have no problem giving this four stands. Um, right. true believer rating of four stands. This is one of the few ones you and I have completely agreed on the uh, Stanley rating for. Yes. Yes. But, I think it's I think Avengers was our big one. Avengers and uh, Civil War. Yes, yes. So with that being said, we're going to talk about now what comes up next week. And next week's a couple of big ones. Um, the Thor movies had gone kind of by the wayside by 2017, but they came back with a vengeance with Thor Ragnarok. And following that, we had what up until very recently was the third highest grossing movie of all time, Black Panther. Um, how do these rate? You'll find out. What are your thoughts before we go into that? Oh, um, 
again, these are going to be fun movies to review. It's going to be hard to stick to any time frame. I'm telling you now. Oh, we've already gone over two hours on this one. <laughs> I know. I was looking at the clock. And I'm like, uh, oh, hell of it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yes, I know. I'm looking forward to this week. I'm looking forward to this week as well, which means that we are only two weeks away from Infinity War. And we've gone real far with these. Yeah. But it's I, been I'll, I'll be honest, this is a hell of a schedule. <laughs> it's a hell of a schedule, but it's fun. It's been fun. And it will continue to be fun, and you can participate in the fun, folks. And how do you do that? Well, you can email us at Finley's Thoughts at gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Finley's Thoughts. Send us an email, send us a tweet. We want to hear from you. We've got a few listeners out there, and we're glad to see that. And uh, we want to keep bringing this to you. So do be prepared. We will be coming back next week. But until then, thank you very much, Walker, for uh, for doing this with me again this week. Happy to be here. So am I, sir. Thank you very much, folks. We're out.